Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. The world is run by computers. The world is run by robots. And sometimes they ask us if we're a robot just because we're trying to log on and look at our own stuff. This is the press box. I didn't know that. If you keep having me sign in and saying, are you a robot? I got to pick out like the stoplights. I got to pick out the freaking trees. I got to pick out all these crosswalks. I just want to know when my damn Dodger gear is on the way, all right? With Grainy and Bischoff. Passwords have passed. You've correctly guessed. But now it's time for the robot test. On ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, we got a little deja vu for the Raiders. Is this it? Hold on. Mid- Hold on. Before we get to the Raiders, the, the robot test. I took a new one over the weekend that I had never taken before. It is a picture right but there's one missing like puzzle piece and you have to slide the missing puzzle piece into the See, opening what how, how involved is a stupidity getting <laughs> just stick with the motorcycles and the fire hydrants this is just so but the robots stupid. are the robots are getting too smart the, the robots are like that's a motorcycle yeah this so, is just yeah, stupid. So my robot so you has, had to fill out the puzzle. Right. You just you just, you literally just move one puzzle piece just hor- you don't even have to move it like vertically. It just slides horizontally until you, you know, stop and leave it. How in many the right puzzle place. pieces do they give you before you decide? Just one. There was only one piece I had to move. <laughs> Robots gobsmacked so, by that idea. We, they have never seen puzzles before. So it's not giving you like three and you've got nope. to make the right decision. No, nope. you just had to move it horizontally. This is that dumb. was it. No more, no more picking out buses or whatever. It was just slide the puzzle piece in. Do you think it's because more than not people mess up and don't know what a don't know what a, a light looks like? Or they put the they put the like they put the frame like the nine boxes and they have like a corner of, of the a corner light. of a yes, traffic they do light have a and it's just like you didn't light. get it. Yes, <laughs> it's like I don't. Uh, it's just. <laughs> Ridiculous. So the pole counts the pole, not the light, the pole. You'll have to let me know when you get the puzzle piece. When you got to slide that, I haven't had many robots lately. I haven't ordered anything that allows me robots. (laughs) Aren't robots, don't robots come when you order stuff? I don't know when they come because it hasn't. I usually don't get them when I order stuff. I usually get them, I don't know, whenever I don't don't know when they pop up. I just get annoyed when they do. Usually exit out of the websites. All right. So during our first break, I will investigate. When do do you get robots? The first bite. Are the Raiders playoff hopes gone? Boy, that comes at you strong. I don't know if they're gone, but doesn't it have that kind of familiar feeling of the last two years where... You know, they're five and two atop the division a couple weeks ago. Now they're five and four, half game back. And it just seems like if you're watching that game last night, it doesn't seem like they're a half game behind that team. It seems like they're two or three games behind that team. Right. Uh, They are certainly by record and standing still in the playoff hunt. There is nothing about the Raiders record and where they stand today that implies their season is over and they are not going to make the playoffs. And it's the NFL where we see fairly ridiculous turnarounds from a week-to-week basis yes. by teams. So yes. very easily, the Raiders could come out and beat Cincinnati by three touchdowns, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, they're back. They're back in the hunt for the AFC West. They're back in the hunt for a playoff spot. But five and two, and now we have seen back-to-back pitiful performances. Like, they haven't just lost the last two weeks. It's not like they went to New York 
and the Giants got him on a last, you know, minute drive or something like that. And it's not like Patrick Mahomes came in here and won a shootout 41 to 34. They have played horribly two weeks in a row. And everything that was sort of good about this team through a five and two season is now suddenly gone. Where was the pass rush last night, right? Where's Derek Carr in the passing game on offense being competent, right? The good things that were good about this team, not really good. anymore. No, I mean, Max Crosby to me got dominated by a third string tackle who used to be his uh, teammate, I believe it uh, in college. And he didn't do anything. I think more concerning is the offense. I don't know what's happened the last two weeks with the turnovers. Jared mentioned it at the end, and I know he's trying at the end there to make something happen, but he looked completely lost with some of those throws in the end there. They're turning the ball over. They can't run the ball at all. 14 carries for 50 yards last night. I mean, Derek Carr was the leading rusher. Yeah, that's all you need to know. That's had, all you need to know. Who had, doesn't run? He had 18 rushing yeah, yards. Who doesn't run? Leading rusher for yeah. the Raiders last and night. And all I heard about from you know Collinsworth and Al Michaels was you know, how scared the Chiefs were of Josh Jacobs, and they weren't really worried about much anything else. Well, I guess they were not only scared, they were able to shut it down, and that's who they focused on because he didn't do anything. Um, turnovers are bad. They just can't move the ball. They just can't move the ball. And, you know, again, he's – I don't think he's – I mean, I don't think he's – he got sacked, like, once last night. I just yeah, think he's making bad decisions. I mean, it's not like he's getting sacked five times and a total breakdown on the offensive line, and they can't they can't keep him clean or whatever. But man, he they, they're not getting open. I don't know where Darren Waller is. Um, Darren Waller uh, had what four catches for twenty four yards yes. last night. Had one what drop that there? went straight off his helmet. Had another one. It's probably more Carr's fault than Waller's fault, but had about a forty yard route down the middle of the seam that. Uh, probably a little bit overthrown from Derek Carr, but yeah, Der- Darren Waller's been non-existent. He was a non-factor yesterday. Uh, he's had two good games this season. That was the season opener. And then last week against the giants, those are the only two times he's top 70 yards this season. And for a team that has relied on Darren Waller to sort of be the de facto number one wide receiver type guy, it has not been good enough. And yesterday he gets targeted seven times. Doesn't really do much with those seven targets. Could have had a much bigger game. Um, I, Pro Football Focus has Darren Waller as the 31st best tight end in football this season, which is absolutely not good enough if you're the Raiders. But this this passing game, here's here's what you have right now. It it seems like it's very similar to the Derek Carr before last year, where he has to have a good offensive line, a good running game and good wide receivers to be effective. And if he doesn't have all three of those things, he cannot be good. Now, that was a little different earlier in this year. They did not have a good offensive line, and they were still 5-2, and two, and Derek Carr had a lot of really good games. They didn't have a running game in those games either, and Derek Carr had a lot of really good games. But these last two games, there's virtually no running game. The wide receiving core slash tight end group is not giving them anything, and the offensive line is bad. And as a result... Derek Carr is also bad. He has not been able to overcome. That's been one of the biggest criticisms of Derek Carr's career is that he can't overcome bad teammates. He can't elevate his teammates. We thought he was doing that through seven weeks. We thought he was doing a good job of that. But the last two weeks, that's that's ceased to exist. I mean, all you need to know is I think Waller's still their leading receiver. And he's been non-existent the last two weeks. I'm, I'm almost cons- I'm almost convinced that he's their leading receiver. And it is ironic 
what you say, we spent so much time talking about the offensive line and how bad it was that they appear to be, you know, getting somewhat better. Uh, and yet the offense is going the other way. Yeah, they're not. They're, the offensive line, granted, last night wasn't great, but the offensive line is better. The offensive line has been better the last three weeks than it was the first six games of the season. It has absolutely been better at that unit, but it hasn't translated to the team actually playing better. Like the offensive line's slightly improved play hasn't led to any more wins. So let me ask you this on the other side, defensively. How much do we blame Rich Visaccia and scheme here? Because Rich Visaccia plays cover three. We talked about it last week. He plays 60% of the snaps. They play cover three. That is more than anybody else in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have struggled this year. They have not been good. And part of the reason has been teams are playing more too high safety against Kansas City. But... Gus Bradley went into this game. The Raiders stuck to their cover three. They did not play two high safeties until the second half. They started doing it a little bit more. But Gus Bradley went into this and said, hey, we're only going to play cover three. We're sticking to what we do. Regardless of what the Chiefs have done poorly, he said, we're sticking to cover three. And I'm curious, how much do you think that scheme or lack of scheme change cost the Raiders defensively? Well, it cost them a lot. Um, once again, they couldn't cover Kelsey. Have they ever covered Kelsey? <laughs> I need to know that. <laughs> I don't think they've ever covered Travis Kelsey. No. I mean, someone the someone asked them afterwards, what about Kelsey? He seems to do well against you guys. Um, it was a bit stubbornness, right? It was a bit stubbornness to stay where they're at as Patrick Mahomes just continued to kill him. And I know you have down here, and I think it's a good point, Jonathan Abram, uh, oh, God. To this again, I don't know if they've hidden hidden him so far. I don't know if he just played better so far, but he can't cover me. So, and that's a big problem. So, here's what's been good about Gus Bradley's cover three: it has hidden Jonathan Abram's biggest weakness in that he cannot cover. So they have Jonathan Abram, who is a strong safety. He's he's been a linebacker. Jonathan Abram has played as a linebacker this year. And when they play cover three, the three deep guys are Casey Hayward, Trayvon Merrick, and then whoever the healthy cornerback is on the other side, right? That's their cover three. Jonathan Abram gets to play either against the run or gets to play in sort of those shallow zones. That's where Jonathan Abram gets to play. That's what's been good about the cover three is Jonathan Abram doesn't have to cover down the field. He can't do it. And we have seen multiple times this year and held twice in the last two weeks. He has been embarrassed by somebody down the field. Last week, Evan Ingram just jumped over Jonathan Abram for a touchdown. And then yesterday, Daryl Williams just jumps over Jonathan Abram for a touchdown. <laughs> so we have back-to-back -back weeks now, and really more than that, of Jonathan Abram not being able to cover down the field. So as much as you'd like to point the finger at, yeah, Gus Bradley played a lot of cover three, and that's why Patrick Mahomes was finally able to pick a team apart, I don't blame Gus Bradley for not putting Jonathan Abram as a deep safety. He's not any good at it. Like you just throw at him every time and you're going to score a ton of touchdowns. Sorry here. Got a uh, you okay? Well, yeah. got the frog in the throat this morning. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I think I need he, the water. Very emotional about uh, Derek Carr's play. Yes. Jonathan I'm, my Abrams eyes play? are watering yeah. right now. My eyes are watering. 
Um, we'll probably get into this at 9 o'clock, but did anyone else feel like it was kind of a jerk move that they basically ran a fake punt against the head coach who's the special teams no, coordinator? No, that was great. Well, let me ask you this. Is, is his time as special teams coordinator now lacking because he's the interim head coach? Because they weren't good last night. Well, we're going to talk about A.J. Cole eventually. You know, blowing Forced up that to play. fumble. Forced to fumble. Best play of the night. Yeah, for them. <laughs> Only good play of the night. Um, Basachi has allowed Olsen and Bradley to kind of take over their spots. Uh, do you think that he's done that too much? Should he have more of a say in things? No. No? I don't think so. Um, I, I think you would trust Olsen and Bradley before you trust Basachi to come in and make some overarching decisions. Now, maybe he needs to come in and say, listen, this didn't work. So what are we doing the next time, right? Hey, this cover three didn't work. Is Joe Burrow going to pick us apart right, too? Right. Right. We're about to someone play... covering Jamar Chase. Yeah, we're about to play. <laughs> we're about to play Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott. Is this cover three going to work against right. Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott? Um, I but think... can you see? Can you see him changing? Well, I like if you're Basachi, I think you go in and you ask that question and you say, "All right, what the hell happened?" No, can you here? see Bradley changing? I no. don't think so. I no. can't see him they, change. I don't I... think he's going to start blitzing eighty percent of the right. time. I don't think he's going to start blitzing. I don't think they're changing at a cover three as the base because that's what Gus Bradley has always done. They've done it so far this entire season. And again. Are you making Jonathan Abram cover down the field? Right. I think you're right. better off playing the cover three. I think you're better off playing what you're good at because they have a bad strong safety, a bad coverage strong safety in Jonathan Abram. Now, we look at the the random highlight plays in this game. Tommy Townsend, the Chiefs punter, throws an absolute laser yes. on yes. down for a first down. A.J. Cole forces a fumble. And then, oh, Deshaun Jackson. Oh, Started running Why the wrong did he way. he start running? He makes a nice catch, actually. Yes. He makes a really nice catch. And yet, for some reason, he turns in the wrong way. Now, a couple of people in the press box said that the defensive players running by him, and he was actually going to try to run for a touchdown. I still say he turned the wrong way. I don't know. He started that. running side to the yeah, sideline. Yeah, he started sideways, and then he gets stripped from behind. Yeah. And Derek Carter was like, well, that's what we worry about. I don't know what he called it, what it was, but he called it something to where, you know, that's what you have to be wary of. But Deshaun Jackson... First time, I was actually surprised at this because Paul Gutierrez, who we're going to have a 930 tweet of this, first time he'd put it on the ground since 2010 yeah. after a reception. Yeah. That actually surprised me. Well, after the reception is the key yeah. there. He'll put it on the ground, just straight up drop it. But, yeah, doesn't fumble. Normally he catches he, it, he's wide open. He also famously would, you know, muff punts. Right. Like Maybe run. that's what I remember most. <laughs> Got to catch it first, Jared, for this stat to matter. Coming up next, yeah, we'll talk about a team that won the Golden Knights. Can I just get the puck? Feed into the slot, goes off the stick, up the slot. Miller lost it. Dodonov gets it. Two on one with Stone on the right. Stone to Dodonov. He scores! Two goals. Evgeny Dodonov, a three-point day. And the Knights lead 6-4 to four with six minutes to go. We're back to the press box with Brady and Bishop. The Golden Knights can't lose, Ed. It's amazing. Not they're, if they keep playing Vancouver. They're unstoppable. They have now won five of six games. Man. Mark Stone is back. He had an assist to Evgeny Dodonov. Didn't actually start the game playing very well, but it playing very well. So we look at this Golden Knights team. Obviously, coming into the season and when or if they are ever fully healthy, the expectation is that they are going to win. The Stanley Cup, that is the only measure of success for this team. But they've had a ton of injuries. 
that's obviously changed in the short term as to what we should expect this team to be. Now that they've won five of six, now that Mark Stone is back, even though they have a lot of other guys still out, should we be changing those expectations? Should we be expecting more of them right now like they've been playing? I think we should expect how they've been playing. I don't think they we expect that they would be Stanley Cup contenders right now. But Stone back. Marcia is playing great. Dodonoff, uh said before the year, I was telling you about our props and how many goals he would score. He's been in the 20s before. I think Leonard's played terrific for them. So, you know, it's going to be interesting tomorrow night, the Carolina um, who's really, really good. We'll see We'll see what they do when they get into those kind of teams. But look at the Pacific. I mean, I don't think the Golden Knights have ever lost the Ducks, and the Ducks have won seven straight. And I don't think the Golden Knights, have they ever even <laughs> lost to the uh, – I don't even know if they've ever lost to them. So as they stay, you know, pretty close to the top here, you have to think, and you and I said it before the season, I mean, you and I thought they were going to run away with the Pacific. I don't know if they're going to run away, but they're continuing to stay so close that when everyone comes back – I think they go back to be the prohibitive favorite to win that division. So what they've done a really good job of is staying right in the middle of, of this division. And honestly, it's a packed up division. They're only four points behind the Edmonton. Edmonton yeah. Now Edmonton's played one less game, whatever, but they're only four points back of Edmonton. They're only three points back a second place Anaheim and Anaheim played one more game than Vegas. So it, they have done a very good job of keeping themselves in the playoff contention as is like just as the roster is, this team is in playoff contention and Mark stone is back. Assuming they get a Carlson, a Jack Eichel. They don't have any more defensemen getting skates to the face. Like whatever happens here, assuming they get close to full health. I think they win the division. Like I think think they they win the division too. They come out of here. I mean, if they, if they get out of this, if we're talking in January and all right, patch ready or Carlson is back. Like, and they're four points back of Edmonton. They're winning the division. Yes, like they're they're easily the best team in this division when fully healthy. And they've been able to do more than stay afloat, which has been extremely impressive over these last eight games or so. I think it's eight of ten they've won as well. So this has been a very impressive uh, showing for the Golden Knights to do this without most of their big name players. But here's the thing. The credit to George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, like despite having all these injuries, they've still had guys like Jonathan Marshall, Riley Smith, Evgeny Dodonov, Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, Robin Leonard in their lineup. They've still, even with Jack Eichel and William Carlson and Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone all hurt, they still have a lot of like star power yeah. in the lineup. They still have a lot of really well, good players. on the pace for like 149 yeah. goals. Like they still have a lot of good players on this team. And that's like a credit to the team that the Golden Knights front office has built. They've built a really good team that not that anybody can truly withstand all the injuries they've had, but they've been able to basically mm-hmm. weather it and do more than weather it. So it's a credit to how good this roster is and a sign of, oh, wow, when they're fully healthy, when Jack Eichel's playing minutes instead of Jonas Ronberg. Hey, hold on here. <laughs> scored his first. Has everyone other than Pete DeBoer scored their first NHL goal in the last week? Because every time I turn on this TV, the TV would watch the scene. Someone else is celebrating their first NHL goal, and you got the guy putting the tape around the goal and, like, writing on it, yep. first NHL goal. Jake LeCision, uh, Jonas Ronberg, Paul Cotter all scored their first NHL goal last week. Listen, when those guys are back in Henderson and it's William Carlson <laughs> and Max Pacioretty, Pacioretty playing instead, team's going to be really good. Yes. And I, I think 
Like, as of right now, yeah, they can survive some more losses, but I think the expectation is that they are going to be more than just 500 until those guys oh, get yeah. back. I think that's that's the expectation. Now, earlier... I think it should be the expectation. Two or three weeks ago, it was, hey, all these injuries, just stay around 500, they give yourself like, a chance. They were got to many as... They got to as many as, like, what, eight to ten behind yeah. early on. Yeah, but now they've been playing really well, and I think it adjusts the expectations to where, all right, if Carolina comes in here and beats you tomorrow night, that's fine, but... That's fine. They're like 11 and one. You should be more than 500 against most of these teams that you're mm-hmm. playing. Like, you should... It shouldn't be, okay, you went 3-3-0 three, three and oh on a six-game stretch. Yeah, you went 4-2-0, and oh, right? You, you're winning more than you're losing because... They can win this division. They should win this they division. They should win the division. Again, assuming guys come back in a relatively quick time frame. I mean, obviously. Oh, listen, some of they're these... all at the Raider game last night, including uh, Bill <laughs> William Carlson. So, you know what? I think that kid was on a scooter. Um, so, you know, if they all can go to the Raider game, they can all get healthy and get back. Uh, one uh, On the debuts, by the way, Ben Hutton made his NHL debut over the weekend. He did not score a goal. Uh, but he did get in a fight with Michael Dickinson. Yeah. Uh, would you rather... First NHL game, score a goal or win a fight? We're not saying Ben Hutton won that fight, but would you rather score a goal or have like a decisive win in a fight? I'd rather score a goal. I don't think hockey fights are that big a deal. I never I never think they're, you know, they get some punches in, but you never see some guy just totally destroy another person. I'd rather score a goal. You're not, you're not getting a little puck with your name on it for winning a fight. Yeah, I, got, yeah. I want the puck with my name on it. You might get something physically that's permanent. It's true. You might get a black eye or something like that. I'd rather score a goal. It depends on what kind of player I am. If I am a guy who is... Is he that kind of player? No, no. If I'm a guy that's expected to have like a long NHL career, like if I'm a top prospect or whatever, I'm going to score a few goals. I don't know how many fights I'm going to win. Now, if I'm Ben Hutton, who might play less than 10 NHL games in his career or something like that. I, I want the goal. If I've been hunting, I yes, want, the you goal. want the goal. But if I was like a top prospect coming up, I'll, I, I'm fighting. I, I want the fight win in my first ever game. So Peyton Krebs would have rather had a fight. Than I don't know if he would have, but if I was Peyton Krebs, yeah, my first game, <laughs> I'd rather win a fight than score a goal. No doubt about it. Cause listen, Peyton Krebs is going to play in it. Nick Suzuki, like Nick Suzuki's yeah, first game with Montreal. Exactly. I'd rather win a fight than score a goal. <laughs> Because I don't know how many fights is Nick Suzuki going to win in his career. Has he been has, in a how fight? How many fights has Nick Suzuki had? Right. I'm on it. Yeah. So <laughs> if I'm Nick Suzuki, that's what I want. Coming up next, Mike Carvalho joins the show. Rebels need a bucket. Nuga, right corner, Baker for three. And he hit it. Josh Baker hits his first three as a runner Rebel. And that's big. That cuts the lead to three. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Mike Gramala. All right, Mike, has Marcus Arroyo been able to stop cancel culture and get two wins in a row? Well, they. it's, it's interesting because I think, do we reframe the way we've been thinking about this entire season, because this is now a team that they've won two games. They have technically overachieved this year. If you look at that win loss where that was set before the season, I think it was one and a half. So all of a sudden after eight games of man, this is the worst thing we've ever seen. They can't do anything right. All of a sudden this team is overachieved in 2021. So what do we do with that now? Well, (laughs) sure. They've overachieved in 2021. It took a uh, special hell for them to have a win total of one and a half, less than 365 (laughs) days removed from, 
you know, having four wins in a season. That is true. And I did not think I, I came on last week and after they beat New Mexico and I said, they're not going to play a team as bad as New Mexico again. And then they kind of did. Like I was not prepared for how bad that Hawaii team was going to be. Um, I think I, I think maybe I, I'm just overestimating sort of the, the bottom of the Mountain West Conference. There are a lot of football teams that you should beat if you have any kind of competency in your football program. So, uh, yeah, they got two teams at the right time, and they, they did enough to beat them. They looked better against New Mexico. I didn't think they, they played so great against uh, Hawaii the other day. Uh, but, you know, two wins. That's I think that's two weeks ago. That's way more than any of us thought they were going to get this season. So they they did not give up on the season. They're still playing hard, um, and they're finding a way to get it done. So I, I give them credit for that. So what else can we uh, uh, deduce from this uh, game? This two game winning streak. I mean, the running backs playing really well. But what have you seen that if Mike Ramallis is back? Because you know what, they're a lot better at this, and maybe that's why they're winning. Defense. They're actually stopping people. They got stops uh, against New Mexico in, in the second half. Um, and then against Hawaii, they were pretty much dominant on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they gave up a, an 80-yard touchdown on the very first play of the game, and you're kind of thinking, oh, boy, here we go again, um, right back to uh, status quo with this team. But then for the rest of the game, they kept Hawaii under three yards per play. They were, they were dominant. Uh, run, pass, uh, plays behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, intercept. They were just they were dominant uh, defensively, and that's with some starters out and missing due to injury. So, uh, if you're going to look towards next year and something that maybe could carry over, is this a team that we could maybe see get some consistent stops on the defensive side next year? Uh, if if they play like they played the last two weeks, if, if they carry that over to next year, you could be looking at a program that has some traction. I mean, if Arroyo has a defense that gives up less than 30 points a game, he might deserve an extension. That doesn't happen around here very often. All right. Uh, fill in the blank here with as many words as you want. Cameron Friel is blank. Going to be in the mix to be the team's <laughs> number one quarterback next year. With who? With, with uh, Doug Brumfield, with probably Jaden Maivea, the, the top quarterback recruit they've got uh, committed for next year, and maybe someone from you know the, the transfer pool. I, I've said before on the show, I'm not sure that their number one quarterback next year is on the roster right now. Um, Friel has shown you some stuff, but he's still freshman interceptions, still takes a lot of sacks. Um, we can kind of, you know, just narratively, you want to say, you just want to give it to him. Oh, he'll get better at those things. He'll just, he'll just be better at them naturally. But sometimes guys don't improve as much you know, or in as linear a fashion as you want. And um, going into year three, I don't think Marcus Arroyo really has the time or probably the inclination to say, hey, let's keep developing someone. Um, he's probably want to going to want a guy that is capable of winning six games next year. So I'm not sure that the starters on the roster, but Freo will be in the mix, I think. If quarterbacks simply got better from their freshman year on, Armani Rodgers would be the greatest quarterback in UNLV history and Tony Sanchez would still be the coach here. Exactly. We all just, you know, you, you see him, he completes 50% of his passes as a freshman, and you say, oh, well, you know, he'll get better with more anticipation, he'll throw with more touch, and it's just, it just doesn't happen for some guys. They, you know, they are what they are. So is Cameron Friel a guy who is what he is right now, and he's always going to take four to five sacks a game and throw a pick or two? Or can he, can he uh, you know, work that out of his game and, and get better? I, I don't know. 
Well, if he's the former, I don't know if he's competing for the job next year. He's got. <laughs> well, he's got the job. He's got the job now, and he's he just got won two, two wins. Games, so, yeah, he's I mean, got two wins. Two, two wins playing that way. Uh, I'll go by Tyler's way of things. Fill in the blank as much as you want. UNLV basketball after two games are what? Pretty much what we thought they would be. They they look like a team that's going to struggle shooting the ball. They don't have a lot of a ton of skill on offense. Bryce Hamilton's really your. Uh, the guy that they're going to run everything through, but defense, rebounding, effort, hustle. If they can keep the scores down, if they can stay close enough on defense, if they can hold opponents to 40% shooting, then Bryce Hamilton gives you a chance to win it down the stretch. I think that's pretty much the game plan. We saw that in the, both of the first two games. So can they that's win, what I think. Can they win 10, 11, 12 Mountain West games doing that? That's, that's the question. Um, I think that the defense will probably, I think that they are good enough on that end to they'll have a chance at that. It's just Bryce Hamilton. He, he came through in that first game uh, against Cal, you know, 12 is a lot. 12 is a lot of Mountain West games. It's uh, you know what? I think they'll probably be right in that range, like 10 to 12. Uh, it's just hard to say because like the way that they're shooting now, if you tell me that these guys are going to shoot their career percentages, that Mike Nuga and Josh Baker and Justin Webster are going to come around and start hitting close to 40%, then yeah, definitely to 12 Mountain West games, they can do that uh, for sure. But um, if they're going to see that little dip that we've, we've seen other guys come into the program and not shoot as well as their percentages, uh, if they struggle all year, eh, it's going to be that grind it out. It's tough to grind out 12 conference wins, you know, scoring 55 points a game. So um, it pretty much depends on how many shots those guys are going to make. Right. And are you of the belief, like many people are, is a lot of that stuff can't be fixed in practice? Shooting? Uh, I really, I'm, I, I, I almost asked, uh, I asked Justin, uh, no, Josh Baker, what his process was after a bad shooting game. And he said, you know, I just come in, I watch film, I look at the shots I missed, and then I go out on the practice court and I try to recreate those shots and just shoot them as many as I can until I'm confident in them. And part of me is thinking, like, does that really work? Like, does that even, like, match? Shooting is pretty much make or miss. Right. Um, once you're locked in and you know what you're doing. So I'm of the opinion, it can't hurt. Like, you just want to see the attitude. I, I, think, I, think, I think the attitude is the important thing. Like, after a bad shooting game, you want kids who are going to be like, oh, let me at them, let me at them. Give me another chance and I'll make it. So I'm going to shoot 100 of these shots uh, after practice. I think those are the kids you want, even if it does, may not directly relate to, you know, making more shots in your next game. Uh, who's the guy? If, if they don't have enough offensive skill, Bryce Hamilton is out here. He's still been pretty inefficient through two games. Who's the guy on this roster that could actually fix that offensively? I think you look at Mike Nuga, uh, historically, he's the guy that's shown the most versatility and production. Uh, he's really the only other guy who shouldered, that kind of load before, um, you know, Baker should be able to hit some threes. Uh, I don't know, man. We've seen, it, it hasn't been pretty in the first two games. We've seen a lot of air balls. We've seen shots off the side of the backboard. Um, basically we've seen a lot of op offensive possessions where they're not even really giving themselves a good chance to score. I feel like coaching wise, if you can just get them to run, more comfortable offensive sets. If you, once you learn where guys are comfortable shooting the ball, how to get them the ball, 
in those positions, get them in rhythm. You'll see some of those terrible offensive possessions sort of, uh, you know, melt away and you'll be left with better offense. But I, I wouldn't take it for granted at this point. I say Nuga. And then I, after him, I don't know who else you would turn to. You know, it's Hamilton, Nuga, and I don't know where the other buckets are coming from. All right. This is a little this is a little interesting. Are you writing Royce Ham checks? Yeah, uh, yeah, we did. It's, what, uh, what, what's if, going on here? If you go to the Las Vegas Sun today, we just uh, put out an episode of uh, Take a Lap with Mike Ramallah. That's a <laughs> little video interview series that we do with uh, UNLV basketball. And, uh, yeah, we took advantage of the, the new name, image, and likeness rules. And we, uh, the Las Vegas Sun, we, we scored an endorsement from Royce Ham. What'd you, wait, what'd you get him? What's he what getting does he have to do? Well, he just had, you know, we, if you watch the video, you know, we had him uh, record a little commercial for the Las Vegas Sun if people want to subscribe. Um, you know, we gave him a, he's got the, the big novelty check. Oh, big has, check? You know, oh, yeah. big check. Yeah, look at, look at Mike, wait, look at Mike holding the big check. Wait, where'd you get the big check from? How do you get those? I, I went online and I uh, ordered it. <laughs> And it came, it was everything that I thought it would be. And, you know, we presented it to him and he was, uh, I was a little nervous because, you know, he might have, uh, we didn't have a lot of money to offer. So I thought maybe he would sort of, you know, laugh at, laugh at us, but uh, no, he was game. He was up for it and he was uh, really funny. No, I mean, you, you, you gave him 40 bucks, right? Yeah, we don't have the biggest budget for our webisodes of Take a Lap. So I I didn't want to I thought maybe he would feel like that's insulting, but he was very he I think he got it and he uh, he rolled with it. So, good for him. Uh, good job by Royce Ham, and he's playing really well to start the season. So um, maybe boosted a little bit by that endorsement money. I mean, good thing you didn't agree to give him a dollar for every rebound he's going to get because he's already oh, going to yeah. be past forty yeah. after tonight. Oh, we'd be yeah our the, our whole entire newspaper model would be almost out of business if we had done that. <laughs> Well, he is Mike Gramala from the Las Vegas Sun. Mike, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Oh, he got the He's big got check. the huge check. I love the big with check. With the Las Vegas Sun up there, and I think it's, if I'm reading it correctly, it's $40. Yeah, Good 40 for bucks. Either Good 40 or 4000 One of the two. I don't think it's 4000 no. So 40 bucks to Royce Ham. That's fun. All right, coming up next, UNLV football. It's a winning streak. He takes the snap, and he is in for a Panthers touchdown. I just want to make sure I clarify this one more time for everybody so there's no gray area. I'm not saying anyone's not starting, starting. I'm saying I'm going to get on the bus and enjoy this win. So just so everybody, before the tweets go out, they probably already went out, I'm not saying anything because I, even if I knew it, which I probably do in my head what I'm going to do, I'm not going to say it until you're probably on Wednesday. You guys are going to ask me, and I'm going to say, hey, you know, guys, I'm not sure yet. So just we're on the same page. That is what it is. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Quick follow-up on Mike Ramallah's uh, Take a Lap endorsement with Royce Ham. Uh, in the video, which I watched during the break, uh, Mike says that the che- he had a $100 budget. The check cost 60 would that Royce check cost 60 Would bucks? Royce Ham have rather had a $100 normal-sized check? Royce Ham would have rather had a hundred dollars no check or a forty dollars. You'd have rather just been handed a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> I mean, 
hundred dollars in five spins no. the same way. Like I mean, a hundred dollar bill looks, yeah. you know, doesn't even need to be that. It could be crumpled yes. stuff from Mike's like glove compartment. We're that fine. check was sixty bucks. Sixty dollars for the big check. He must have not gone to the bigcheckstore.com, which well, I just looked up thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah. For a I don't large know who does, check. Well, I don't shipping, know who does. Jared. Shipping. Ooh, shipping. You're yeah. right. You're right. Who does checks that. anymore? I don't. No. Checks. Ridiculous. Who would even use a check? My dad does all the time. Writes checks. Does it's he? Absurd. Yeah. Still to this day? He likes to pay his bills with checks. Likes to write them out manually. No paperless? Uh, he does. He has like one or two that's paperless, I think. But he doesn't. He's not a fan. He wants to know like, oh, here is the bill for my energy. I will write them a check and send and it. And does he keep the balance oh, in the back absolutely. of the checkbook? Absolutely. Really? Yeah, no oh, I doubt I had to give up on it. checks. I had no clue how much money I had. No doubt. I, Goes in his checkbook. $6 or whatever. Balances his checkbook. The funniest thing that I we ever did was he wanted to buy cryptocurrency. And so I went over to his house. We set up an account, bought some cryptocurrency, and then he pulled out his checkbook and balanced his checkbook to say, all right, I spent this much money on cryptocurrency. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. It was like he was jumping into the future of currency, but also taking a step back in time to manually balance his checkbook. checkbook. Yeah, it's great. Beautiful. So that's what he does. Now, how much time do we have to celebrate this, Jared? Four minutes. That's plenty of time. Marcus Arroyos turning UNLB Ooh, around. Man, cancel that culture, baby. After 0-14, they have won two in a row. Which, by the way, this was interesting to me. Tony Sanchez, did you know he won two straight games in four of his five seasons? Mm. Get on two-game hot streaks. Never won three in a row. Last time that happened for UNLV was when Bobby Houck took them to a bowl game. Uh, But here's my important question for you. Do you believe UNLV has gotten better? Or do you believe Hawaii and New Mexico have just been terrible? Cop out, I think it's both. I think New Mexico and Hawaii are horrible, but I do think you know he's better, and I think Mike made a good point about them defensively. Um, they're getting better defensively, but I'll say this. I remember you and I, at the beginning of the year, both said everything's relative when it comes to UNLV football, right? right? I mean, you, you, comparative to other schools, I don't do that because they have not been any good. But I think early in the year we said they were better defensively, even if the results didn't show it. Like, if you just watched them, I thought they were better defensively, so now maybe they're even getting better. They're playing lesser teams, and it's showing a lot more. Because I've thought all year they were better defensively. Again, it's relative. We've seen what they've been, not just under Arroyo, but in the past like 20 years defensively. So I think he has a better defensive team than a lot of teams recently. They have played a few really bad teams this year. New Mexico and Hawaii are two of them. Utah State was one of them, even though Utah State just had a win. Uh, I think it was against Wyoming over the weekend. But if you remember, like, games against Utah State, they've had a lot of games where they've fumbled the ball and given up a touchdown right before halftime, right. or games where Arroyo has elected to not try to score with a minute and 15 seconds left before the half. They've had games where they've just had baffling decisions or baffling plays. They've avoided that for the most part the last two weeks, mm-hmm. which suggests they're better. Now, Cameron Friel had three turnovers in the first half against Hawaii. Well, Why, one, wasn't it in three possessions? One was a snap that he wasn't ready for that I think was more on the center than Friel. But we'll say the offense had three turnovers. And here's the thing. Hawaii got off those three turnovers. They had three possessions start on UNLV's half of the field. Hawaii walked away from those three possessions with three right. total points. Three. That is where the defense has been much better is 
we saw like early in the year, there were moments where the defense looked good. They looked good. And then by the end of the game, though, they were getting torched, right? They were, they would eventually, right, they break. couldn't hold up. They'd eventually break. That hasn't happened the last right. two weeks. They haven't broken the last two weeks. So I think there is, there is a level of UNLV has gotten better, but they've gone from, okay, you're the worst team in the Mountain West to, okay, you're slightly better than other bad okay. teams, which I guess is. Good. It's I think it's again, improvement. I still think the important context of the Marcus Arroyo era is that he took over a program that had won four games three straight years. He did not take over an 0 12 program. The idea that, you know, being the 10th best team in the conference and having two wins is success, no, that, that is not. He took over a team that had won four games three years in a row. He took over a team that was close to a bowl win multiple seasons or a bowl not win bowl appearance yeah. multiple seasons in a row he did not take over an 0-12 program he took over a semi-competent mountain west team he made them completely incompetent getting them back to semi-incompetent is not like some great achievement hot take i gave it to you already you want to save it should we tease it for later in the week Oh, that's fine. Yeah, let's we got a big it. announcement. It's, it's a good we have take. A big it's, announcement. It's we a, have a you, big announcement. You told me it in the break. It's a very good hot take. So I wanna, I wanna save I, it. We'll let's, save let's it. Let's tease it. When it comes to UNLV football, I do have a tease hot it take off, coming up. Save it off. Make people just like we have a big announcement eventually. Eventually about the show. There's a big announcement. <laughs> There's a big coming. announcement coming about the show. We'll get we have there. no idea when. No, nope. and we're not even really sure what it is. But we'll get there. So we'll we'll tease that that hot take. More importantly, Charles Williams. Yeah, good for him. 66 yards, second most in a game in UNLV history. He's been really good these last couple of weeks.